Welcome to the Relationship Help Show, your time with Dr. Roberta Shaler, the Relationship Help Doctor. Through the magic of the internet, Dr. Shaler provides urgent and ongoing care for relationships in crisis to people throughout the world, and she's here for you now. Whether you are experiencing a momentary blow-up or the crazy making of life with a partner, ex, child, or parent who is relentlessly difficult, you'll get your questions answered and enjoy her expert guests. Settle in with Dr. Roberta Shaler now. Leave the drama behind and find peace of mind on today's Relationship Help Show. Here's Dr. Shaler. Is there any chance at all that you are with a person who you know is going to say or do something to hurt you? Whether that person is your partner, your ex, your adult child, a coworker, a friend, are you with anybody who you know you are absolutely expecting that they will hurt you again? That's what we're going to talk about today because when you're around people like that, as we said in, in the last episode, you're not emotionally safe. And when you place yourself in places that are not emotionally safe for you, that raises a big question. And that question is, why would you do that? And why would you continue to do that? And so you stay in these relationships. And there's reasons for that. And I want to talk to you about that today. Because you're waiting for a reward. You're full of hope that you will get a reward, that that person will change, or that person will eventually like you, or that person will have a magic moment when they see the light and how wonderful you are and how loyal you've been, and yet you know it's never going to come. I know it's sad, but you know in your deepest soul that it's never going to come because that's not who they are, and yet you're being a person who is eternally hopeful that they're going to be different. Kind of reminds us of that Einstein quote, isn't it? The definition of insanity, doing the same thing and hoping for a different result. Well, we do that in our relationships too. And I really hope that you'll listen today for the answers to that question of why do we stay and really think about it. It may be happening to you or it may be happening to someone that you know or love, and you're looking for a way to help them. And once you understand what I'm talking about today, right down to your toes, not just know the words, but really get it, really integrate it. Then you'll have answers to some questions. I'm going to read you these questions because they're so important. Why do I believe my partner will do what she or he has always promised and yet never done. Why don't my friends like my partner or my mother or my father or my friend? There's a clue there. Why do I make excuses for poor and even outrageous behavior of these people in my life? Why do I rush to defend them? Why do I feel like I have no power when other people's behavior toward me is destructive? Why do I think it's within my power to make an abuser stop? Oh, you caught that, right? Abuser. Yes, that's what these people are. They're abusers. 
And I know you don't like to think of your friends or your mother or your father or your partner as an abuser, but if they are behaving these ways, if they are in fact those people that you know are going to hurt you repeatedly, you just get with them and you're waiting for that other shoe to drop, that's abuse. And at a minimum, it's misuse. And why would you be doing that? Why do you defend people you cannot trust? Why do you stay around them? And why don't you believe what you say and think and feel? And believe it strongly enough to recognize what's going on in the relationship. So these are some questions you need answers to in order to feel whole and strong and empowered. And I want to give you some of those answers today because there are reasons. You know, don't beat yourself up about this. Just open your ears and your heart and your soul and listen. And maybe you will have a moment where you realize this is not okay with me. I'm not going to settle for this type of treatment in these relationships. So you do want to feel whole and strong and empowered. I'm sure you do. And if by any chance you didn't say a resounding yes to that question, then you really need to hear what I have to say. Because something has happened in your life that's allowing you to be satisfied with taking crumbs from an empty table taking crumbs from an empty table, and, and you're allowing yourself to be hurt even more. And again, there are reasons for that. So there's also good news. If you take what I'm saying seriously, right down to your toes, you can begin to see that you can have a better life and create relationships that have the three criteria that I mentioned so often. Healthy relationships have equality, reciprocity and mutuality and if those three things aren't there almost all of the time your relationship has problems and it's very important to fix them because you don't want to be settling for less you know somewhere in your life you may have learned to settle that's a lousy feeling like i'm not good enough to have it better i'm not worthwhile to have people treat me well I don't deserve it. Oh, that's not healthy and that's not helpful. And it's certainly not playing on your own team and helping you to feel better about life at all times. So why have you been settling? Well, usually it's something that happened early on in your life. You didn't make a conscious decision to do it. You didn't choose it. You learned that it was a way to survive, to get what you needed to survive. I'll give you an example from my own life. I'm an only child. Okay, that in itself means that I got to keep two giants happy. All right? If you, if you have more than one child in a family, you, you kind of separate out keeping the two giants happy. But when you're an only child, there's just you and two of them, and that's really hard work. And, of course, that supposedly means that you also benefit from the attention of two giants, but that's not a good thing when they're both dysfunctional like they were at my house. You've heard me talk about hijackals before. Those are the relentlessly difficult people in life who run relationships only for their own purposes and they're always wanting power and control over you. Well, my mom was a hijackal. 
And that's why I do my work, because I know what it took to get out from under all that. And the thing about hijackals is they absolutely must win. They must win in every circumstance. Over the smallest and most seemingly stupid things to the big things in life. But they must win and they must have power over other people. And that's a really poor situation to bring a child into. Of course, as long as I was small and cute and couldn't talk, my mother thought I was great. Because everybody thought I was small and cute and she got all the praise. And once I learned to talk, things got a little dicey because hijackals are very competitive. They need to be the smartest person in the room or the or the, the bravest person in the room or the strongest person in the room or the rightest person in the room. And so competition is right in their nature. And so... Now here I am learning to talk and learning to see the world and my brain is developing and I can see what's going on a little bit and I was an old soul so I did see a little bit more and there I was a seven-year-old who was quite happy to say you're mean and you don't make any sense. Um, not a happy making situation. <laughs> a hijackal mother did not appreciate that kind of input from a seven-year-old who was no longer small and cute and uh, had become mighty competition in her mind. So the struggle began, and you might ask, where was my father in all this? Well, he'd learned to cope with the hijackal behavior by being, being severely passive aggressive. So he had worked it all out. He went away for six months of the year to work, so he didn't have to be around her. And the other six months of the year, he spent in the pool room. And uh, that pretty much took care of it for him. But one of the big things that happened to me was every evening, my mother would get really, really angry about why he wasn't home for dinner. Then we'd drive down to the pool room and me, seven or eight years old, nine and 10 years old, I got sent into a men's only environment, the pool room, to get him out to make the hijackal happy. So imagine what that does to you. It, it warps how you feel about yourself, and it takes a lot of work to unwarp, and that's why I spend my time helping people do that. So the big deal about hijackal is they withhold approval. They withhold love too, but they withhold approval because that's one of the ways that they can win. So if they even want victory over a child, nobody, <laughs> nobody escapes a hijackal. They have to win over everybody. And it took me years to realize that there really wasn't anything wrong with me. There was really something wrong with my mother. I knew it. I would talk about it. I'd tell her she was mean. I told her she didn't make any sense. I told her she was judgmental. She shouldn't talk about people like that. You can see how much I was a challenge to my mother. Um, but it took a long time to figure out it wasn't me. It was her. And that might sound familiar to you. And if you had that kind of a background, you're set up to go into relationships where you are going to put up with really bad behavior from other people. So how does this relate to the huge question I ask you about waiting for a reward that will never come? Well, it's the reason. 
you're small, you want the approval of the giants, you do your very best to do what they want and be who they want you to be, yet you can never measure up. You can never win. And this sets you up for a pattern of abuse that becomes completely subconscious. That's why I say it's not your fault. But as you begin to have this come to the surface as we're talking together today, I hope you recognize that it's worth looking at because it is hurting you. It is hurting your life. It is not allowing you to have the relationship with yourself and with other people that you most want to have. And we have a name for this. When this has happened to us, when we're in those relationships that are so difficult, this is called trauma bonding. It's a vicious cycle of being abused and then then you think it'll be okay and you get the hope again and then you're abused again and you hope and hope and hope that maybe if you're better and you do things better, they'll like you better and then they abuse you again. And so that bond of that hope of, oh, well, maybe I can do something. It's all my fault. Maybe she'll like me better. Maybe he won't do that anymore. That hope is what keeps us hooked. And then we stay. And we put up with these behaviors. We settle for these behaviors. And trauma bonding shows up when you're loyal to a person who is destructive to you and probably to other people as well. When you're loyal to a person who is destructive to you, and you know what? It doesn't have to be anybody else's idea that they're destructive to you. It's quite enough that you realize they're destructive to you. You don't need anybody else's validation, although it's a very good idea to work with someone like me who will help you see it faster and heal more quickly. But you don't need anybody else to agree with you. Because many times when you're in a relationship with a hijackal, they're behaving that way toward you. But they're being everybody else's best and most charming friend. So when you go and talk to other people about it, they discount and dis dismiss you. When I tried to talk about my mother to other people, you know, adults that I hope would help me, they said, oh, how nasty. You shouldn't talk about your mother that way. No help at all. No help at all. So trauma bonds are success stories to abusers. They've got you. They've got you just where they want you. And they know they can confidently wear you down, tear you down, and keep you down because you are in their control. And you may never have noticed the game. The fierce competition they have to, that they win and you always lose and you know, with hijackals, everything is your fault. Everything. And when you accept that as so, you are likely trauma bonded. So a few more questions for you. Is there someone in your life who rules the roost? Is it his or her way or the highway? I wrote them down, so I won't won't forget which ones. Are you constantly being told that what you see, hear, think, and feel is not true and of no interest to them? Do you continue to want the approval of people you know who won't give it to you and want to hurt you? Do you actively make, big one, do you actively make excuses for and try to help people who are destructive towards you? That's a learned thing from when you were a child. 
do you realize someone is using you and yet you still run after them wanting them to like you you recognize that they're using you but you still want something from them you still want them to like you you still want them to approve of you you still want them to tell you that they love you and the game is they're not going to do that because they want to have power over you I remember when I realized that about my mother she was never going to say she loved me or approve of me because then she would have given away a little bit of her power and you know she never did even though I took care of her all the way through to her death at home she never once did it and one last question in fact two do you even try to convince an abuser because yes remember they're abusers that there is a problem and he or she won't listen to you won't hear about it and goes further and tells you that you're crazy and discounts everything that you said and the last one are you loyal to people who have betrayed you more than once you know, many times when I'm working with with couples one person has gone and, and had an affair or whatever once when that happens in most cases we can rebuild when it happens more than once then we have to get smart all of these things that I've been talking about are signs of trauma bonding and this is important to know I was caught in a place of wanting to have a mother who loved me and recognizing that she both wouldn't and couldn't took a long time to recognize that but especially the part that she couldn't because it always felt as though she just wouldn't and it took a long time to get the emotional distance that I required to see her traits and patterns and cycles and just to see them as interesting instead of feeling devastated by them because I got to see it was all about her and I no longer realized that anything except my part in responding to her or enabling or condoning her behavior it wasn't about me it was about her needs to be in control and these are really big things when we recognize that that this person does not have love to give does not have empathy to give does not have a desire to have an equal reciprocal or mutual relationship with you that's the beginning that's when you wake up and say wow here I I've had this cloud around me thinking that if only I were better if I were more patient I was more kind I was more compassionate I was more loving I was more understanding I was less demanding I got I went into the background and stayed there if only I did all of those things then they would love me no that's not the truth and you've been making yourself into a doormat and a pretzel hoping that you would get what you want and you can't because that is trauma bonding and I hope that you're beginning to think maybe that happened to me and when you think that there is a solution toxin <laughs> Hello, this is Dr. Roberta Shaler. Are these stories and questions on today's show sounding familiar to you? Are you ready to say no more to the abuse from toxic people in your life? 
I'm so glad. You matter and you deserve to have real love, true love in your life. Love from yourself and love from others. Not that demeaning, discounting and dismissive masquerade that a hijackle pretends is love. I can help you regain yourself, your self-esteem, your self-confidence after a life with a hijackal, whether it was your partner, an ex, a parent, or a child. Let's work together now. For individual sessions or small group coaching, visit forrelationshiphelp.com slash join. Talk soon. Hello, and I am so excited that you just saw that my guest, Dr. Gary Salyer, just joined us. So let me tell you a little bit about Gary, and hi to you, Gary. Hi, Roberta. <laughs> this is an exciting thing for us to be having a conversation. I've been looking forward to this one. Gary is just, just finished his great book called Safe to Love Again. Isn't that an enticing title? <laughs> he's, uh, he's, if, if you can learn how to be safe to love again, all the things that I've ever talked to you about hijackles will go, wow, now I can do it differently. So that's great. But um, Dr. Gary Salyer is a master transformational relationship coach, and he helps people rewrite the rules for love in their brains. Wow. Rewrite the rules for love in their brains. I'm sure you want some of that, right? <laughs> that's an important thing to want, too. Um, and he's, he's been really well noted and has a national audience as a featured expert in the great love debates. You may have seen those and, and on all kinds of TV and radio, just look him up and you'll see that you see his name right there on your screen. So this is an important thing for you to be doing. And, um, I really invite you to look him up, but now listen to him today on the program. So welcome, Gary. Thank you, Roberta. Thank you for having me on your wonderful show. I've been listening to you. Wonderful advice. Oh, yeah. thank you. Thank you. Um, I wanted to ask you, very first thing, um, what does it take to feel safe to love again after you've been through all of the all of the terrible difficulties or the trauma bonds or whatever has happened to you, I'm going to jump right into the deep end and say, what things are most important that you have to do, first of all, to feel safe to love again? Well, you know, for my, just to let the audience know, I had a, a genuine borderline uh, mother I mean, who liked a lot of violence as well. And what I didn't realize was that certain rights to have certain experiences, I call them rights, you could call them permission slips. There was no permission slip to assert your truth or to create your own experience. There wasn't even, a, a for me, there wasn't even much of a right to exist. So the real key for anyone, whether you, you have been through a hijackal of a mother, as you call them, or a father, or you've had an ex uh, that did the same thing to you, except a little later in life, it's about going back in restoring the missing rights. Most times we get them from zero to three and your brain has six rights. And when you give yourself a right to have a certain experience, you stop taking BS, you stop giving it BS. 
And that's the nutshell. <laughs> well, I'm all for that. Let's get rid of the BS. Um, yeah. So we have two things that, you know, I don't know that we'll get to talk about today, but I talk about the seven inalienable rights and yes. you're talking about six. So I wonder if they're anywhere near close. Um, it's important for us. And I'll just talk about my first one and see if that matches anything that you have to say. Um, the first one is that you have the absolute right to be here to take up space and draw breath. What would be your first one? I like that. I call it the right to exist, which okay. is really a right to, to be in the now and to be in your body, to be present. So we're kind of on track for that. Yes, we are. <laughs> all right. So we're probably not going to go through all those rights, but it's important for everyone yes. to, to recognize that you do have rights. And when you recognize you have the right to exist, to use your word, mm -hmm. then you, you can begin to see that if you have the right to exist, you probably have the right to speak up. You have the right to to um, be assertive, to say what you think, to say what you feel, right? Exactly. And yeah. Sometimes you can have one without the other, I, but generally speaking, if you have a full set of rights, you have a great relationship with them, and you will only have the relationship you have the rights for. Yes, and that, that whole business, you know, I, I talk often, Gary, about three important things that a healthy relationship has, which is equality, reciprocity, and mutuality. And in order to have those things, both people have to have the rights and respect the rights of each other. Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I know you've done a lot of work in attachment theory and, and attachment and and I've I've seen it that you have four attachment styles. Um, would you like to give us a little rundown on what those four attachment styles are? Yeah. Well this has been around in attachment theory, you know, since the fifties basically when they noticed that you could put a one year old child in a room and the way they separated and came back with their mother, you could predict their relationship style based on that. And they found out there were three basic ones with a fourth one. The first one is secure, where the child knows the parent is going to be there for them. If they go away, they're going to come back. They're, they're comfortable being in a relationship, being dependent upon and depending upon someone. Then there are the anxious. And the anxious are the ones that kind of got uh, a relationship, but then a pullback, and a relationship and a pullback. And they have a fight response. They're going to lock things down. And they're furious. When does love go away? Then, of course, there are the avoidance. They're the ones that didn't get much of a bond. They probably didn't get much of a right to exist. And so they have a flight response, and their biggest fear is, is they're going to be dependent upon. And then, and then there's the 5% of people whose brains are anxious and avoidant, or what they call disorganized. And these are the ones that really usually got hammered with a lot of trauma. And while some remain eventually make a change into highly avoidant. Many of them wind up into what you call hijackles. Yes. Yeah, because when yeah. you are China, a small child, you don't have a fully developed brain. No. So here you are just being this little sponge, taking in everything that's happening to you. And therefore you're taking in who you are and, and what people think of you. And you don't have any way to do anything except, except that like if they're all yelling at me and they don't, or they don't like me or they don't listen to me or they don't come and play with me or change my diaper or do whatever children always believe that it's their fault. So you start to have that programming and that is not a great setup for 
adulthood relationships, is it? No, it's not. And while, you know, it's the best deal for the child, our brain always takes the best deal. With no sense blaming it. It's not a best deal later on. You know, for a child, if you've got these two giants that you're dependent upon, and it's their fault, you're, you're like screwed beyond belief. But if you can make it your own problem, then you got some control over that. And that feels way better to a four-year-old than knowing, oh, my God, I lost the lottery with parents. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to put it. You know, I like the relaxed and casual approach you're putting forward there, Gary, because this is the stuff we need. This is actually why I created the term hijackles. We don't want to get all messed up in clinical diagnoses and words like that because we lose our ability to be ourselves and real and know what we think and feel. So I really, I really appreciate that. So let's talk about that small percentage of people who have been raised by parents in that fourth attachment style. What's likely to happen to them? Well, most of them were severely, severely abused. Uh, a lot of them were not welcomed into the world. And so how you, if you have never been welcomed, your brain pulls back from that feeling of welcome and it doesn't learn how to give it either. Uh, and it always, and there's always a part of us, you know, most of them were abused themselves. And I like to put it like this, you know, uh, you've seen those movies where the, the gazelle is running for its life from the predator lion. And the, and the lion jumps on it and it scratches it up and it gets away and it jumps on again and it scratches away and eventually the gel, gazelle gets away but it's badly mangled. Some part of the brain is saying, who's doing better here, me or the lion? And so the, the victim takes a snapshot of the perpetrator and that becomes its ticket to not being so abused. And so exactly what you were saying earlier, they usually resort to what they experienced unless they do an awful lot of work and most of them aren't predisposed to do that. I agree. <laughs> and yet I see something, Gary, I'm interested in your take on this, that when you've had hijackal parents or a hijackal parent or you've been somewhere in the family that supposedly received and welcomed you there's a hijackle i see it going in two ways mm -hmm. one of them is that you begin to emulate that behavior in order to survive so yeah. you become like them you don't care you know you become oppositional you become avoidant you're just emulate their behavior and although the hijackle is highly competitive eventually they get a little respect for the fact that you're as difficult as they are and things change a little bit but on the other side of that spectrum becoming a hijackle being at one end the other end of that spectrum is to become hijackle bait yes you, you will have become so attuned to what the whims and wishes of others and try to accommodate and please and and slip into some codependency that now you have become the prime hijackal bait you're going to go out in the world and try to find your romantic partner who's going to save you from all this horrible feeling you've ever had and subconsciously there you sit saying oh i know how to take it and they can almost see it in you Yes. And then you get into a relationship that looks different than the one you left that hurt so much. And that's all part of the hijackal ploy. 
they're chameleons. They'll be anything you want them to be while they seduce and exploit you. And once they get you, once they've mangled you and taken you back to their lair, then they begin to wear you down and wear you out. So what do you think about that as the two ends of the spectrum there? Oh, there's no doubt that uh, when we are stripped of a right to assert, some part of us, I call it a survivable state. Early on, uh, part of our brain is looking for what did we breathe through. It's a reptile brain. And it says, if I survived and breathed through something, then it must be good. So if you breathe through welcomed and empowered and cherished, that's great. But if you if you breathe through disempowered and manipulating controls, that part says, well, we breathe through that. Good job. Let's have it again. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You've really got this down to the lowest, lowest common way to understand it. I love that, Gary. Good for you. <laughs> Because yeah. I, I love what you just said. You know, if you think you survived, you go, wow, you know, I can do this. Yes. I, I'm up for this. I know this one. It's familiar. Um, and, and you fail to recognize what's really going on. So what does it take to recognize what's really going on? You know, if it really does come to a, a moment of truth, and, uh, you know, there's two levels of it. Uh, I cannot, it's okay that I share uh, uh, two quick personal stories. Sure. You know, my mother was very borderline. I know she was beaten with razor straps by her father. I see how she got it naturally. But there came, and I mean, when I was born, she didn't even name me for three weeks. I was so unwelcome. The state had to call state troopers in and say, if you don't name me, we're putting you in jail till you do. Oh, my. <laughs> now, when I was seven, she beat me with a chair for not calling some some uh, some African-American people the N-word, literally. And that moment was the moment I realized this is so wrong. That was the moment I said, I will not be like this woman. But what I said in my mind was, you can bend me, old woman, but you'll never break, break. me. <laughs> now, now, it wasn't until I was in my 40s and I'm talking to a really great therapist. And I say that night, it's like, this was the moment I became me. But it was actually the moment I became hijacked obey because he, he said to me, so what's it like going through the rest of your life bent over backwards? Wow, that, wise person. That was the second moment of truth. One was, I'm not going to become this. And if someone's been a hijackle, there's a moment, if they ever change, it's like, oh, my God, my kid is scared to death of me. What have I become? Or my wife is scared of me. If they can have that moment, you can work with them. If they don't have it, then you can't. But the ones for everybody else that have become the bait, it comes the moment when you realize, I don't have to run through the rest of my life, bent over backwards or whatever the metaphor is that you have to have that moment of truth where you say, I deserve better. So true. And and I remember those things in my own life, Gary. I remember the last time my mother tried to hit me. And I don't know, I was about nine years old. And she grabbed me by one arm and she, she was trying to hit my bottom. Mm -hmm. Not too much rocket science. I just kept moving in a circle. I have never seen anything like the rage that that produced, yes. <laughs> that she could not hit me. I had outwitted her, yeah. and and she never tried again because she knew better. Mm. But these, these are things that make you and I particularly 
empathetic, sympathetic, and understanding of what we've been through yes. and how we can help other people walk through it successfully and come out to a place that could create a healthy relationship. So how do you know when you're creating a healthy relationship? You know you're creating a healthy relationship. Uh, in the book, I talk about a secure attachment. And a lot of people put that out there, and nobody really defines what it feels like. Because it's all feelings. That child at one that knows it's secure or the ones that don't, there's, there's no prefrontal cortex online. There's no beliefs. There's no story. There's no identity. There's no logic. It's all feelings. The reference, the GPS for our brain, are four feelings. By the time you're one, there are basically about five of those six rights on, and each of them has a feeling. If you got a right to create your, to exist, you felt welcomed with joy. And that becomes your reference for all of life. There, am I welcomed with joy in this relationship? Oh my God, Roberta, so glad to be on the show with you, right? That's welcome with joy. Then there's the other one worthy and nourished to have your needs met that it's all right to reach out without getting your hands slapped right and it's yes. people can reach out to you the third one is cherished and protected that you get to be a me you get to separate but you get to belong you get to be a, a me in a, in a in a cherishing we not just a we and enmeshed not just me and then the third fourth one is empowered with choice you get to have voice and choice. You get to create your own experience. And if you get all four of those, then the fifth and bonus feeling is lovable. And uh, those, that's if you're, so if you're in a relationship and you're not feeling all of those, say one's missing, not, then you're thinking this relationship needs more. Two's missing, you're thinking we need to see a therapist. And if three or four is missing, you're in a toxic relationship. So you just do an inventory. Am I welcomed? Am I worthy? Am I cherished? Am I empowered? Well, one of those missing, you got some things to work on. If three or four are missing, um, you're probably in a very dysfunctional relationship. And if all four are missing, you know you're worth a hijack. <laughs> you just know it. <laughs> yeah. I think that we all they want to manipulate you. <laughs> I think I think we can all get that. So welcomed, worthy, cherished, and empowered. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Four things. So if we put those four things with my equal, reciprocal, and mutual, mm -hmm. we get something really tight. So we're gonna have to talk a little more about that, Gary. Maybe <laughs> we'll have to write something together. That'd be great. Where have you written all this down, or is this in your new book? It's in the new book. Uh, you know, uh, on my website, I'm doing a video series where I'm discussing with some of the video series. It's called Love Notes. I mean, I'm doing that. People want to hear me talk about the book, but I'm doing the final editing. You know what books are like, you know, and then it's, I'm hoping, uh, it looks like it's probably next fall. But at the moment, um, it's in the book. And uh, a lot of people like yourself have said, you got to write the book. It's just a matter of getting it out. And it's in the editing process now. Well, that's exciting. Remember that the book is called Safe to Love Again, mm -hmm. and that's what we want it to be. So uh, I'm going to talk with Gary further, and I hope that you'll stay tuned.
Hi, this is Dr. Roberta Shaler. Handling hijackles is exhausting. It's never-ending. An endless cycle of crazy-making, alienation, and constant drama. And cycles are difficult to step out of. I know because I've been there too. And that's why I reach out to you to offer the insight, skills, and strategies you need to heal. My small group programs, Handling Hijackles and Hijackle Recovery and Rediscovery, will shortcut your journey to healing, to save your sanity, and to stopping the crazy making. Visit forrelationshiphelp.com slash join now and let's talk soon. I'm here today with my guest, Dr. Gary Salyer. I'll spell that for you so you can go to his website, G-A-R-Y-S-A-L-Y-E-R.com. And if all this is sounding really good to you, then you definitely want to get into um, watching what he's up to and following him because he just told you all these videos are coming out and things will be good to be able to see them in print or on video. So that's great. So you're in a difficult relationship, Gary. How do you know when you need to get out and how do you get out? Well, that's always the $64,000 question. Uh, I think the first thing is, is you talked about trauma bonding. And the way I talk about it is I talk about it as a hope structure. And me too. <laughs> uh, it's hope. Because when you are traumatized, the, the, the child naturally doesn't want to say, my mom and dad are evil people. So it splits them, a little three or four-year-old might split them into the angelic mom who will one day, or dad who will love them, and of course the bad one. And, the, and what is survived is someone who doesn't love you, and then the hope that they one, will, one day will love you. So people get bonded to having hope more than actually having so if there is, if your marriage vows have turned into or whatever your relationship you're in, is it's no longer to have and to hold, but to hope to hold, to hope to have something, that's your first clue that this isn't a good relationship because love is a half structure. It's in the moment. It's present. But if you're constantly hoping for the cavalry to come over the hill or for your ship to come in or however you want to call it, it's not that's your first clue and you can't always trust your feelings that say i gotta go back because you learn to bond to someone that couldn't give you what you wanted it's a matter of giving your brain back a different set of rights so you feel and once you feel worthy you don't it's worthies now it doesn't mean a layaway plan called tomorrow <laughs> yeah. that, that's really interesting i mean i love the fact we're so on the same page because I have just been telling my people, you know, on my Facebook groups and all the places where we connect with folks that hijackles hook you on hope. Yes. And as long as you're hooked on hope, you will not see the forest for the trees and you will not be able to back up and say, there's more hope in other situations than this one. <laughs> yes. And, and so I, I think that's so important for us to recognize and, and when we have these negative attachments that we have, we have to find a way, a precipitating event sometimes does it, doesn't it? It does. Like, like finally something so wrong, so huge. Like one of the hallmarks of hijackles that I talk about is incredulity. That a hijackle 
when you when you see someone or hear someone and you inside you go oh, who says that who would ever think that who does that you have to wake up right at that moment and say hmm hijackle lurking yes <laughs> because that's a person who makes you incredulous and hopes that you are going to make excuses or rationalizations or justifications for their behavior. And if you keep doing that, you're going to have a lifetime of subservience. Exactly. So a precipitating event would happen. But when somebody comes to you, Gary, what do you say to them when they say, I don't think this is going very well? What do you ask them? What, what, what are your first thoughts to share? Well, when someone's in a bad relationship, and it starts really becoming aware. It's I talk it's like call it a virtual question. It's not something they're usually asking consciously, but the question underneath all of their other questions is, is it hopeless yet? They won't exit the relationship until every shred of evidence is there, it is hopeless. Because they're running a hope structure, right? Right, right. <laughs> so, so a lot of you know, sometimes you have to fast forward the the process you have to get them to visualize where this is going but i have found out that that doesn't always work as much as it is you get them you give them more and more reference feelings for what's really right and i'm reminded of the way i explain this in the book is back in the 60s when there wasn't all the technology and maybe the 70s the the uh, the fbi had a counterfeit program and they would train people to recognize counterfeits. Now, you would think it would be all about what the paper was made of and the color and the serial number and all the little things they have. For a solid week, they would bring them into a room that was like a bank teller place, and they would do nothing but feel money, eight hours a day. And then on Friday afternoon, they would slip them the, the wrong thing, the counterfeit. And once their, their fingers knew the feel of what's right, mm. they spotted it immediately. And then, and only then, did the FBI teach the technical stuff. The moment you can give somebody back a real, that baseline feeling they've missed all their life for what real love feels like, it'll recognize it. You know, you have to give them that feeling level. And then pretty soon things start to shift because they get more worthy. They get more empowered, but you have to give them that feel, that baseline feeling until the day comes when some part says, screw hope. I want have, and this was <laughs> out the door. <laughs> yeah. Health and happiness, empowerment, all yeah. those things. That's what we want people having. Well, it's been a joy to talk to you, Gary. Thank you so much for joining me. I just love the down-to-earth ways that we can talk about these things and stay away from all the clinical stuff that doesn't really help. <laughs> no. So remember, Gary's book is coming out. It's called Safe to Love Again. And in the meantime, you want to go to his website, Gary, G-A-R-Y, Salyer, S-A-L-Y-E-R.com. GarySalier.com. And on the right sidebar, it says Love Notes. And then you'll get some really two, three, and four-minute clips from me, Ariel Ford, John Gray, and yeah. just really wonderful things to help you find more love, whether you're single or a couple. I alternate between the concerns. Great. All our friends are there on your website. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right. That's great. Thanks so much for being with us, Gary.
Thank you. Thank you very much, Roberta. Yeah. So now you know what to do. If you want to be safe to love again, you need to interact with Dr. Gary Sellier's book. And as he's leaving us, I just want to remind you, GarySalyer.com. And so we want to um, get right on that. But right now, I want to go back. We're talking about trauma bonding. And remember, I was telling you that I was caught with wanting to have a mother who loved me like every single one of us does and recognizing that she couldn't and she wouldn't. Two big deals. Couldn't, she didn't have the capacity to do it and wouldn't, she didn't want to anyway. Why? Well, because hijackals have no empathy. So when you have empathy, you cannot imagine a person that doesn't have it. So hijackals know how to mimic empathy. They can pretend to have it. And they do it just long enough to get something that they want. And that's something you need to learn to help you shake off those trauma bonds and to move from hopeless or hopeful, which you're continuously being hopeful they're going to change, to recognizing that it's hopeless and then getting some help to recognize what is healthy and what is happy making. So important to do. So do they ever go away, those trauma bonds? Well, not entirely. They're always going to be lurking in the back for really stressful moments. But if you do your work, you can keep them in the background. They'll always be in your toolkit ready to say, oh, watch for that. But you can do the work. And if you don't recognize that those trauma bonds exist, they'll never go away because they've become part of your standard operating system. And it's completely loaded with viruses and malware. And when I work with clients, they're often reluctant to recognize the trauma bonding. So they use these excuses that might sound familiar to you. Oh, at heart, she's really a good person. Or she means well, but she's just not very good at, at interactions. Or, oh, I know they never meant to hurt me. And we dismiss and discount what's happening to us. Don't do that. Don't do that. You deserve better. So to get away from trauma bonding, you have to be willing to give up that promise or that hope that things will ever be different. I know it's a big ask. But you really have to do it. You have to be willing to give up the promise or hope that things will get better and to recognize that it's not something you need to do to get them better. Because the hijackal is invested in it never getting better. They're comfortable. So you can't cut their indifference to you. So many times we feel intensely attached to people who abuse us. Are you getting a little more comfortable with the idea that it's abuse? I hope so. Because if it's your parent, you naturally have an underlying attachment. Right, right from the moment you do breath, you've been desperately hoping for their love and their approval and their time and attention. You were hooked. So now it's time to unhook so you can be free. And whether that's a parent, as it was in my case, or it's a partner, or it's a family member, or a friend, or somebody that you really value, that you keep chasing because you hope they're going to like you, now is the time to sit up and go, whoa, I don't like that picture very much. 
I don't like the idea of me running after and chasing love or attention or focus. No, I deserve to have it because I breathe, because I take up space, because I am healthy. So we have to get healthy in order to have that happen. So remember, hijackles have you hooked on hope. And so many of my clients and people in my Facebook groups, um, they find it hard to stay away from a hijackal. Many times they'll write and they say, I got away, but I just feel this pull. I really want to move back. I Maybe they've changed or my hijackal has come and they've cried and they've said how much they miss me and how they can't live without me and, and what am I doing to the family. So the hijackal just pulls those strings and rekindles the hope. And they go online and they say, save me from myself. I do not want to go back. I know what will happen. And I always say, you know the pattern and the cycle. They will come. They will reach for you. Do whatever it takes to get you back. And then they will begin to treat you poorly again. So don't get hooked on the hope. These are addictive relationships and I want to help you get out of them because it's trauma bonding and your self-confidence, your self-esteem, your self-reliance are all affected by that bond. You honestly think you can't live or breathe without the hijackal and being hooked on hope with hijackals is soul destroying. So it's time to wake up and smell the herbal tea. Cut the bond, release yourself from it and it's hard. Yes, and you'll need help, but it's definitely worth it. And you are definitely worth it because you matter. So if you want to learn more about these things, go to my website for relationshiphelp.com or go over to YouTube to my channel for relationship help. And also you can listen on iTunes to there's so many more things than the relationship help show there for you. But get involved. Get my tips for relationships every week. Just go to For Relationship Help. Look at all the things that are there for you. And we can engage on a regular basis. And if you want to know more about my Facebook groups, just send me an email. rs at For Relationship Help. So until we talk again, don't get hooked on hope and make it a much happier day. There you have it. If you want more, you can work with Dr. Shayla directly. She's eager to help you resolve your relationship issues. Have a question? Call in early to next week's show to talk with Dr. Shayla on air. Get her expert insights and advice by subscribing to her blog, newsletter, and YouTube channel. We're here for you. Don't be a stranger. Join us again next week. And in the meantime, visit forrelationshiphelp.com.